Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace Haiti Americas team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, RadIndieMedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Colombia, Total Peace and the Fight to Free All Political Prisoners. I'm happy um, to have two fantastic guests join us today, everyone, and I'm sure you're going to really uh, get a lot out of this conversation. Anthony Dest is joining us from New York. He is with the Colombian Freedom Collective, and it is specifically his a prisoner project that we're going to be talking about in this episode. And then joining us uh, from Cali, Colombia, is Ajamu Baraka of Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti Actions Team, and he is also the Black Alliance for Peace National Organizer. And he can talk to us about what full peace uh, looks like in Colombia and what the hope is for the region. I should also just remind all of you that, um, and some of you have been following the program for several years, that um, I was in Colombia in May of 2021 during the Paro Nacional on a human rights observation delegation. So this is a really, really special episode for me on a very personal level to have this conversation with Anthony and Ajamu. It's terrific follow-up as to what's happened uh, to some of the people since May of 2021. And so let me um, let me just start with a brief background. Some of you will be familiar with this and others of you uh, are new to this subject. So uh, let me give a background starting in April of 2021. So in April 2021, tens of thousands of people took to the streets in Colombia to demand change. They rejected decades of state violence and deepening inequality. Over the course of three months, the largest protest in Colombian history spread to over 800 municipalities throughout the country. The months-long protests played a huge role in creating the conditions for the election of Gustavo Petro and Francia Marquez. Changes are afoot in Colombia, and the inauguration of President Gustavo Petro and Vice President Francia Marquez on August 7, 2022, marked an important shift away from decades of political repression. However, more than 300 people accused of participating in the 2021 protests still remain incarcerated and or are facing harsh sentences on trumped up charges. Political prisoners from the 2021 national strike are currently on a hunger strike in four prisons around the country. Despite numerous promises from the Petro administration to address their situation, the prisoners continue to face dire conditions. The only demand that would bring an end to the hunger strike, a response from the national government regarding the December 22 proposal emerging from political prisoners in Palmira for the creation of a table for dialogue, Mesa de Diagolo. So let me um, introduce Anthony and Ajamu to all of you. And um, 
also Anthony asked that I share where to uh, where to stream this. I'll put a couple links in the chat for you, Anthony. So welcome, gentlemen. Really wonderful to have you both um, both with us for this episode. It's really, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's a really uh, important follow up to uh, a number of our previous episodes regarding the Paro Nacional in Colombia, as well as the presidential primaries and the presidential elections. So, so this is a terrific opportunity to continue um, informing our audience about Colombia. So Anthony, why don't we start with you and what your project is and, um, and what the prisoners are demanding and why they are still imprisoned when the Colombian president is very vocal in the media, social media particularly, about countries throughout the region releasing all political prisoners. No, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us on today. And it's great to, to raise these issues right now because I think it's more important than ever. Um, and just to kind of begin, you know, as you mentioned in, in the intro there, uh, the Colombian national strike in 2021 started on April 28th, and it lasted for about three months. But it's, for me, pretty hard to put an end date on it, um, because the expressions of a struggle for dignity and resisting state violence and resisting capitalism continued long after whatever people tend to think of the strike ending as, as ending, right? That it didn't culminate at a, a specific date. Um, yeah. So that resistance has continued and there's all kinds of vibrant expressions of where this has gone in, in the last couple of years. And, and I think it's really important to highlight that. But another way that this strike hasn't ended is that there are still a lot of people doing time for expressing themselves, for struggling for dignity uh, during that national strike. And so the most recent numbers we have are upwards of 300 political prisoners from recent demonstrations um, for participating in social mobilizations uh, currently in Colombia. And, you know, this project is, is not my project. It's, it's a collective project. We're the Columbia Freedom Collective. And it's a few different organizations here in the United States, including the Black Alliance for Peace, the U.S. Peace Council, Woodbine, and the National Lawyers Guild San Francisco chapter, as well as organizations in Colombia uh, like the Comisión Intereclesial de Justicia y Paz and Trabajo y Dignidad, as well as the Punto de Resistencia en Paso del Aguante, which is the primary case that, that we are working with. And basically, you know, um, I've been working on Colombia for many years now. I'm also Colombian. And um, I was inspired by what was happening during the national strike in 2021. And, you know, during the strike, I, I made it down to Colombia, established contact with several folks that had been involved more towards the tail end of it after some of the most brutal state repression had ended. You know, um, I think it's really important to highlight that over 40 people were killed by police and at least 80 people were killed during the protest. Dozens of folks were forcibly disappeared. Many more were injured. There's at least, I think, 25 uh, cases of sexual violence committed by police forces against participants in the national strike. So, you know, that, that violence is really what kept people out in the street. And that's what people were resisting throughout the national strike. And now to see that the folks that really put their lives on the line uh, to, to better their conditions have been facing time and really hard time 
for choosing to struggle and like you said earlier, create the conditions for the election of the first progressive government in Colombian history for me was completely unacceptable. And, you know, I think that that is what inspires a lot of us that are, are part of this movement to uh, demand the, the freedom of political prisoners in, in Colombia right now. So that's... Let me, um, regarding the violence for the audience, violence was like military style assault on people who were peacefully assembling. And it hadn't, I mean, these were, well, what we came to know as the ESMAD teams. And um, this were full blown uh, military style tactics and equipment that were used against civilians. It was, it was more than violent. It was warfare, I would, it was, I would argue. And just to paint a picture for the audience. And when people assembled, it had nothing to do with whether it was peaceful, whether it was art, whether it was for music, just flying pancartas, banners, you know, against the, the Duque government. These ESMAD teams would break up an event once it got, lasted what they deemed to be too long or got too large, whether it was peaceful or not. And it was done very, very, very violently with military style, style tactics. And um, it was pretty gruesome for the majority of the country. It was about 70 plus percent of the country that was protesting the government at that time, which was enormous. I mean, the government had pretty much lost the people by then, which I would argue is why the repression was so strong. But let me ask you about these, these people who were arrested. And so they were arrested under the Duque government. They were arrested for protesting. Were they, why do, am I thinking that some were released at Christmas? Was that a holiday short-term thing or was it, I was at Christmas of, of 2022, I'm thinking. Right. No, um, so as you mentioned, there, there, there've been a couple kind of false starts on addressing the issue of political prisoners from the uprising. From the moment Petro was elected, I think he had it very clear that the, the national strike played a huge role in, in getting him there. And he mentioned it during his victory speech in June, I think it was, of 2022. Uh, shortly after he was elected, there was talk about passing an amnesty law. And there were a lot of expectations around that, giving, given Petro's governing coalition having a majority in the Congress. But um, because of reactionary political pressure, the, the governing, the Pacto Historico pulled that part of the amnesty law out. And so there wasn't an amnesty law that passed in October. And then in December, Petro said that he was going to use a, this legal uh, figure known as the agents of peace, gestores de paz, agentes de paz, mm -hmm. to release hundreds of political prisoners before Christmas Eve. Um, to date, I think there have been only, I think, 14 people that have been designated as agents of peace. And of those, only four have been released. But I think for a lot of the folks that I work with, there were a lot of expectations about what that uh, could mean for them, you know, because the political prisoners that 
many of whom were very vocal in their support for the new administration, expected to, for that to go through, but it did not happen, right? And shortly after the, the, the Christmas holiday passed and it was clear that folks were not getting released from prison, uh, prisoners in Palmira, the prison in Palmira, which is outside of Cali, went on strike and they made demands about establishing a route for dialogue. And I just wanna be clear about how modest the goal for that initial hunger strike was, right? They were just asking to establish a path to creating a formal space for dialogue, dialoguing directly with the government. And in December, there was talks with, directly with the government and they suspended the hunger strike. But then again, now in February 20th, they went on hunger strike again because there was no advances in making that space for dialogue happen. And um, ultimately that hunger strike lasted 10 days. Two people sewed their mouths shut to reject mm -hmm. even water. And uh, it was suspended last Friday um, because there were, again, meetings with the government. There has yet to be a formal space for dialogue established, yet um, the, the stipulations for, for lifting the strike or suspending the strike uh, were because they, they had met with the government and there was enough reason to discontinue a hunger strike, which I should mention is extremely onerous under the conditions of Colombian prisons, which are already overcrowded. But you know that hunger strike not only was to establish that path for a, a space of dialogue with the national government, but it was also to call out how bad the conditions were in these prisons, right? They're, they're dealing with water that is not safe. You know, uh, several of them want psychosocial support and they're not getting it. And, you know, um, it's, it's been quite a difficult situation, but I, I can't emphasize enough how modest the demands were. And even then the government was not willing to meet with the political prisoners that put them in office uh, on their terms, right? Just to put this in perspective, Gustavo Petro has met with former president Alvaro Uribe three times since he was elected, and he has yet to meet with the political prisoners. The people who helped put him in office, who helped get rid of Uribe. <laughs> Let me, th there's a couple things I'd like to follow up on. To me, and we said this before, I mean, the irony of not um, addressing these political prisoners when there is a call from the president of Colombia himself, you know, for other uh, Latin American countries to release their political prisoners, it, it just, it's, it's hard to understand that, <laughs> especially considering the fact that there is now a new vice ministry in Colombia that was specifically created, and I believe it falls under the Minister of the Interior, but I'm not 100% sure, but it's a new vice ministry of social dialogue and equality. They, he has a whole team of people prepared to talk and negotiate whenever and whoever is ready. And and yet the, the prisoners are ready and you say it's modest demands and yet that dialogue hasn't, hasn't happened. Are there legal issues? I mean, some of the, some of the 
crimes that have been uh, put against the prisoners, is there a concern there with any of those? I mean, with any or all of them that some of them should remain in, in prison or, or is this just another form of political persecution? I mean, I, I think it's really important to point out that there are some very severe charges against some of the, the prisoners. And, you know, there's always going to be a, a legal question about uh, in a full out amnesty versus a partial one or what constitutes that amnesty. But I think it's just, again, important to insist that the prisoners that were on hunger strike last month were not demanding amnesty. They were demanding a space for dialogue, a formal way of dialoguing directly with the government, right? And so Which the government your, has. And to your question, I mean, for me, what are the limits of that dialogue? Mm-hmm. What, what makes some sort of dialogue feasible while others are off the table? And you know, it's, it's, an, it's a very difficult question to ask in Colombia right now, too, because through the total peace policy of the government, they're currently embarking on negotiations with everything from left-wing guerrilla groups to right-wing paramilitary criminal groups, right? right. And uh, I think a lot of us that are supporting the, the struggle of political prisoners right now, it, it's an unresolved question, and we have not heard good answers from the state in regards to it. Let me uh, let me make a comment about that also. Um, sure. I think um, one of the ways in which we can perhaps explain the uh, slowness uh, on the part of the government to address this issue of, of prisoners, why we see that the government is attempting to address a number of different uh, contradictions in Colombian society by engaging in discussion with various forces might be because these issues that they seem to be, they seem to have prioritized more so than this issue of these young uh, prisoners might be related to the kind of social pressure that they feel to address certain kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. The, the very fact that it appears that, that many people in, in Colombia uh, sort of forgotten about these young people uh, it releases um, some of the pressure for them to really address this issue. Uh, the fact that um, uh, that they are, are engaged in uh, 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 advancing, uh, using the full weight of the legal system against these young folks, uh, while uh, not feeling any kind of pressure to address the issue of impunity. That is... Mm-hmm. Who had who was responsible for all of the uh, uh, people who died during the course of this rebellion? Uh, these questions had never been answered. Therefore, you know they feel that they don't have the social pressure, the political pressure on them to really effectively uh, address this. That's one piece of it. The other piece is that you know there are enormous political complexities in Colombia regarding the state, Anthony alluded to that a moment ago, that um, there are certain questions that the government um, uh, raised that they were going to uh, attempt to address. 
but it appears that as a consequence of, of a, a reassessment uh, of the uh, balance of the forces in the Colombian state that the Patriot government backed away from. We have to be, remember, this is still a, uh, the, the Patriot Marquez government, uh, you know, they have latitude to do certain things, but the overall character of the state uh, and the forces that still control large chunks of it still resides with the the, the radical right wing. That's not to make that's not to attempt to apologize for some things that have not been done, but just to kind of you know pull in some elements and help us understand you know uh, uh, some of the complexities that people are facing here in this in this space. Well, that's true. I mean, this is these are really good points you bring up because this is true for any new administration in any country. Just because the presidency changes doesn't mean uh, a lot of the other, the leadership management of other institution changes. A lot of people are civilian employees, like the immigration services, for example, <laughs> that have been there, you know, employees who have been there through multiple presidencies, they don't they don't necessarily change just because there because there's a, a new president has been elected. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this w- would be a lot of things that have been inherited and aren't going to change overnight, and that's not unique to to Colombia. No, and that's why it's important, uh, Terry, that that the, these kinds of discussions take place. That the kind of work that, that that Anthony has helped to pull together and helping to bring attention to the situation uh, that we, we we support this and we help to amplify this because without the social and political pressure uh, coming from inside and from uh, external sources, it's going to be very difficult for us to finally resolve this issue with these young people uh, in prison. Are the majority of the 300 young I guess I would say young, like under 25, under 20, like. I don't have the ages. I mean, it's been extremely difficult to get good information about this uh, because it has not been systematized. And I just wanted to correct myself. It is 17 people who were named agents of peace and four who were released through that out of the more than 200 that Petro promised. But yeah, no, it's been extremely difficult to get good information. But yes, the majority are are young. Um, young people. And, and that was another remarkable part about this, this uprising, right? And it yeah. was that young people came out into the streets, people who were not necessarily part of trade unions, formerly members of social movements or political parties, took politics into their own hands and struggled yeah. for dignity where they lived, right? They, yeah. they became protagonists in their lives in a way that, for a lot of people, really rocked the boat. And I think that also has to do with why a lot of folks within the government are a little nervous about getting too deep with this, right? What is on the table for dialogue under the Petro administration? And you know, for me, I think that he kind of spelled it out a little bit during his victory speech after he was elected when he said that we are going to develop capitalism in Colombia, not because we worship it, but because first we must overcome pre-modernity in Colombia. And for me, I think, you know, when you're dealing with the questions of an uprising and this kind of political activity that really rocks the status quo, people get a little bit nervous about it. But 
what is also clear to me is that the folks that were out there on the street were struggling for dignity. They had a very clear mind, at least at first, it was about reversing and protesting against a neoliberal tax reform. And then it became about resisting state violence and the enduring legacy of colonial capitalism on Colombians, right? And so I, for me, I guess what, what, is, what are the limits to this dialogue are yet to be demonstrated, right? And I think as Ajamu was saying, it's really important to put that political pressure on the new administration to see, you know, what, what is possible. Because, you know, the folks that we're working with from Paso de Aguante spent 15 months at least in pretrial detention, despite maintaining their innocence, right, for the crimes that they're accused of. And they're looking at spending up to 50 years in prison if they're convicted, right? These are entire people's lives, entire families' lives, communities that are being affected by this and why, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really uh, listening to you describe who they are and, and having been there during the Paro Nacional, it's, it's heartbreaking on a certain level because so it was the young people that took up the voice for the nation or the majority of the nation. And I, I, you know, I remember talking to people's parents, grandparents and the older generation saying, we should have done this. It should, you know, we have left it up to the young people to make the change and it should have been us. And a lot of guilt. And, and, and then, of course, that guilt turned in, into enormous support for the movement that these young people were built and ultimately changed the government. And so it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that the nation isn't behind them now. It, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, just this week, several members of families that were affected by the violence, uh, families of political prisoners, former political prisoners themselves, uh, traveled to Bogota once again to try and establish a meeting with the government, um, but they were unable to. But this is this is you know I've I've met with family members of people who were forcibly disappeared, whose children were murdered during the the protests, and it it. Honestly, I mean, it, it kind of feels like traveling into, I don't know, like 1979 Argentina or something, mm-hmm. right? Like it, we're talking about that scope of, of state violence, but it happens under the radar. Um, and because it's become, I guess, so normalized in the eyes of a lot of the international community about Colombia, that Colombia is a violent place or whatever, we don't necessarily hear about it as much, but it does continue. So, you know, I think that's another part of what we're trying to raise here is, you know, like we're here to support the political prisoners, but we're also here to talk about the the violence that occurred and the enduring impunity that Ajama mentioned, you know, just in late February, there's a popular tribunal in one of the neighborhoods in Cali called Siloe, and they found the state guilty of continuous genocide, right? Because just in that neighborhood, over 16 people were killed during the national strike. Right. And nobody really knows their names besides the folks that work on this. But again, these are communities that are affected for it. 
And who is who is perpetrating that violence and to what ends is is again the the what 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 status quo was being sought to be preserved through that violence. Well, and again, it goes back to, you know, not all the institutions and leadership change just because a country gets a new president. What, I mean, what do you do with the existing national police, the existing military? Do you fire everyone? And then if you let them all go, then what happens to them? Then they start working from the outside, from the outside in versus the inside out. And, you know, it is, a, it's extraordinarily complex. It's just, to me, the you know, listening to you, to me, the biggest thing is what I'm hearing is that these young people have pretty much just been forgotten. And that is. Well, they have to a certain extent. And, and, and that's why this issue is important, because yeah. with Petro's uh, uh, commitment to this concept of total peace, um, in which they are attempting to engage some of the paramilitary forces, um, and guerrilla groups uh, to bring about a, a new environment in Colombia where there, in fact, is peace and the possibility of people to live with security um, and the implication of national reconciliation. But the question, the question is, when it comes to this situation where you have uh, continued impunity coming out of the rebellion, uh, where you have uh, these... Uh, people, young people, I refer to them as young people because as, as Anthony said, most of the folks who was going to the streets and were engaged directly with the authorities were youthful, if you will. So with these young people still in prison, how do you have total peace? How do you have national reconciliation when this situation continues to fester like this? So that's why this has to be resolved. It has Yeah, you froze. You want to turn your video off? Ajamu? No. You want to turn your video off and do audio only and see if that works? Maybe he doesn't know he froze. I think Ajamu's point is is pretty clear, though. I mean, it, can there be total peace without the political prisoners, right? right? And as you're asking, how if if there is an infrastructure and a, the political will supposedly to dialogue, well, these people are asking to dialogue. Now, why do they need to go on hunger strike to be heard? Um, that you know, and, and and we expect for this to change. But I I also just want to mention too that like I think part of the decision that we've made as a collective is is to support uh you know raising funds for the legal defense of of people facing charges right because mm -hmm. we know that we can't leave it up to the state to resolve this even if it is a progressive government right and. You know, uh, a lot of the folks that have been able to get out of prison was thanks to a good legal defense. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of people cannot afford it for numerous reasons. 
And, um, you know, that, that was a decision we made pretty early on that we wanted to find lawyers that were familiar with this, if they were from the Committee in Solidarity with Political Prisoners or other folks that we've known over the years to, to work with that were uh, representing uh, defendants pro bono. And, you know, um, any, we, we want to alleviate the, the material uh, impediments to having a, a justifiable legal defense in the court of law. And so a lot of the fundraising that we've been doing is, is in regards to that. And can the fundraising be done through your website? Absolutely. Yeah, you can go to columbiafreedomcollective.org and there's the means all of the money goes directly to the legal defense, the pro bono legal defense of the people from Paso de la Guante, the resistance point. And you can read more about the cases of, of the folks that, that we are working with on, on the website, but um, it's it's a campaign that's growing. And as I mentioned in the coming month, there are going to be several hearings that are taking off with the, the cases. Um, fortunately, several of the folks were released, albeit after way too long in prison, um, pretrial detention in December, but now the cases are picking up again. And we'd love to encourage folks to, you know, join us in packing the courts virtually because currently all the the hearings are online and that means that we can sit in on the the hearings and listen to the hearings and show not just the 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 folks that are being tried the the defendants that they have support that they're not alone but also demonstrate that people around the world care about what's going on um and so if you're interested in getting in touch with us there, you, you can also go to our website and, and get in touch with us. And we can send you information about how to participate in these virtual hearings. All we ask is that you keep your microphones off and just <laughs> put your name and your location, like country location in your username so that you know the folks that are in the, the meeting know uh, how much support is being shown for, for the folks being tried. Wow, that's really great. That, yeah. That's a really great act of solidarity. That's really yeah. wonderful. I will share with the audience that uh, all of the articles and links that we're talking about, I have included in the program notes. So um, if you are watching us on YouTube and just go into the program description for this episode, all of those links are there, including um, articles and and websites and, and all of that. So Great. So check those program notes and click and make your donation and then be sure to join the, the yeah. hearings. That, that is really a fantastic global act of solidarity yeah, and easy really, enough to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it's really great. So much honors back. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, Ajamu, as we're, as, um, if you, you know, you talked on to about total peace and that this piece and that this component with the political prisoners needs to get resolved in order, you know, for the new Colombian government to pursue total peace and reconciliation within the country. You have uh, been involved on um, with several uh, delegations and most recently on the Caribbean coast, Buenaventura, I believe, in that general vicinity. Wyatt, can you share with the audience what those uh, delegations were created for and, and what 
you saw and what the results or what the impending results are. Yeah, well, thanks so much, um, Terry. And I'm hoping I was trying to uh, share again um, the report that I wrote on that mission that we were on uh, a little bit over a month ago. That link, your article link, is in is that is is in the program notes. Hello. No. <laughs> So now we lost his audio and everything. Let me see. And really, let's see if we can get him back. Otherwise, hmm. Let me pull up. I want to pull up the article let me because i want you all to see this and i'm sorry for the delay maybe we can get him back while i look for the article hold on just a second Um, let me share that there he is oh okay (laughs) I was just trying to buy some time to pull up your article. This, Let's this talk about that. This is what happens when you do a program with Anthony Desk. Live from Cali, Colombia. We, I mean, I don't know what's going problems. on. So I'm now I went from my computer to my phone. Now I'm back on my computer. So let's hopefully they, okay. they'll give us at least five more minutes or so. But uh, I was sharing that, that um, yeah, if you have that, that link to the report that I wrote um, uh, that we we published a Black Agenda report. I think that was February eighteenth or so. That'd be great to share with uh, with the audience. Okay. It is in the program notes, but I'll put it in the uh, chat as well. I think we lost him again. Yeah, it looks like it. Are you there? I'm here. And here's the, but we lost Ajamu again. Fantastic. Actually, I have it uh, too, as I I will. uh, I can hear you. Maybe you should shut your, oh, we just lost you completely. Why don't you shut your video off and just do audio? I think the audience would be okay with that. And that might, um, yeah. Okay. Because we really want to hear about this this delegation. The delegation uh, actually went to the Pacific Coast um, and visited a number of territories. Uh, The part that we went to was, is considered to be the, rural parts of the of Buenaventura, the Buenaventura district. Uh, Buenaventura is... No. 
We're losing you. We lost you again. Yeah, I <laughs> Well, so one thing we know, maybe Wi-Fi infrastructure is not so good. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not this time of day. What's going on? So, yeah, he's. So let me, I want to put this in the chat and then maybe we should. Um, what we were hoping to talk with, uh, with Ajamu about was to um was to kind of thread the needle between you know with what is happening with the political prisoners this call for total peace and how that is unfolding and there have been several um human rights delegations and observers who have gone into some of the uh particularly in Vallecauca and um witnessed and taken testimony from what these communities need. And a lot of the prisoners, a lot of these political prisoners, a lot of these young people come from these exact communities. <laughs> so, so we had hoped to talk about that delegation, but Jamu, are you here? Yeah. Okay. So quickly while we have you. <laughs> Hello? No, he can't stay connected. So so is there anything else, Anthony, that we should? Um, no, I just would like to on. encourage folks to, to check out the, the website. That's columbiafreedomcollective.org. Uh, we're trying to put regular updates about issues facing political prisoners on the website as regularly as possible. There's also space for you to make a tax deductible donation if you're in the United States, and we would greatly appreciate that. And we can ensure you that that's gonna go directly into the legal defense of, of folks that are, are facing pretty steep charges. So um, thank you so much, Terry, for inviting us. It's too bad we didn't get to hear from Ajamu about that delegation. I know it was uh, a very intense, but uh, hopefully fruitful experience, so. Well, it's a call for total peace, and in its and and in that total peace is peace for the entire region and creating a peace zone. And so we'll we'll have a follow up conversation. But also, Anthony, for you and your work, just to remind the audience that um, all of you uh, joining this episode can listen to uh, the uh, the the court proceedings for online. And so again, it's just such a wonderful act of solidarity. And that again is, is on the website. And again, all of these links are in the program notes. <laughs> so, so you can easily reference all of them. So thank you so much, Anthony, really wonderful to meet you and, and a really important conversation. I'm so glad you had time, time no, to join thank us. Thank and you. I just want to Remind the audience that you've been watching What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean. We broadcast every Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube Live, uh, YouTube channels for The Convo Couch, Code Pink, and popularresistance.org, and post-broadcast 
recordings can be found at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, so thank you, everyone. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, we'll see all of you next week. See you.